First Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse number 12, this portion of Scripture, Paul is, is rounding out this admonition to his protege or his son in the faith, Timothy, and he's, he's putting these things into his life because Timothy is a young minister and is about to face opposition. He actually faced much opposition. He was uh, actually martyred as he was protesting against Mardi Gras, uh, the, the parade of Bacchus, and as uh, they were doing all of their debauchery, even back then, he was protesting against it. He was rebuking them in the name of the Lord and standing for the holy standard of God, and they killed him for it. But Timothy here, God is putting some things in that he's going to need. How many of you know when you face opposition, you need you need to be able to pull on something? Because whenever you begin to face opposition, you begin to question certain things. But God has a way of instilling things in you. And if you'll listen to that still, small voice of God, he'll put in you, just like he put in Elijah, that which you need for your hour of need. He'll put inside of you a word in due season, that still small voice, and God will speak it into your life. And it won't matter if a million voices of opposition come against you, if you know God has spoken to you and that God is for you, that God is with you, and that God will never leave you nor forsake you. It doesn't matter how many voices are against you. It doesn't matter how emotional you get about the matter. It doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what God has said. And God has a way of putting those things or depositing those things in us, in our lives. And we have to be aware of those things. How many of you know Timothy could have taken the scroll from Paul and set it on by the coffee table? He could have taken this scroll from Paul and he could have just passed it on without even reading it. How many of you gotten something like that? You got a you got an email and you just forward it without reading it. Or you just got a piece of mail, you just put it in the trash, Right? But Timothy could have done that. I don't think he did, do you? But he took, this, he took this letter from Paul and he began to read it because God, through the inspiration of that apostle, through that pen, is going to begin to deposit some things in there. And God wants you to, God wants you to learn from it because that's why it's still in the Bible. God wants you to glean from it because that's why he preserved it. And as we talked about earlier, God didn't just preserve the, the, the letters, the alphabet letters of this letter. He actually preserved the power on them. Amen. He preserved still the power on them. So he, not only did he preserve the letter of these words, but he preserved the power of these words. And if you'll apply them to your life, it'll have the same effect in your life because my Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever that God never changes. He doesn't run out of power. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't yawn. His arm's not short. His ear's not deaf. God is still able to do anything that he desires to do and he'll do it through you you believe that so Paul writes here to Timothy in verse number 12 he said let no man despise thy youth but be thou an example of the believers in word in conversation in charity in spirit in faith in purity till I come 
give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. These are the things that the church is supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be not reading uh, stories about, you know, when we went to the mall and we saw this and I heard this great story. We're supposed to be reading the Scripture. We're supposed to be reading the Word of God, exhorting the brethren on that Word of God, and then holding to the doctrine of what that Word of God is. Amen? So he said to do that until he comes. Now, this is what I want to get into, verse 14, 15, and 16. He said, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. This neglecting of the, of the gift sometimes, you know, there's two different ways that you can look at that, but one way that you can neglect the gift of, of, of the laying on of hands is to not do it, is to say, God don't work like that no more. You can neglect that, and, and you need to know that God doesn't want you to neglect the gift of God. Amen? That God still operates. It's one of the ways that God verifies and authenticates His work, His ministry, is through the power of the Holy Ghost. And he said, don't neglect that. But another way that you can neglect the, the, that gift is to begin to operate without the power of God on your life. Do you know that God never expects you to go through anything or do anything for him without the anointing on your life? You don't have to, you don't have to be like a treasury soldier and going through without the Spirit of God upon you. It is the Spirit of God that lifts the heavy countenance. It is the Spirit of God that helps us to see past what is natural. It helped, it's the Spirit of God that gets us into that place of faith and not feeling. It is the Spirit of God that takes us out of what we see and what we feel into what God has said and what God has revealed. And that's where God wants you to be. God wants you to stay in that place where you're looking past the natural. Amen? And sometimes when, when we neglect those gifts, when we neglect those things, it's because we've begun to try to do things in our own power. It's because we've tried to use our own intellect in a situation. It's because, well, I know what they need. I, I know what they need is because we, we try to assess a situation from a natural perspective, neglecting the power of God, neglecting the gift of God, neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, not taking time to be holy, not taking time to wait on God, not taking time to get in the prayer closet and, and like Moses had to go up that mountain. Moses had to go up that mountain and spend time with God and they knew whether Moses had done that or not because he would glow. His face would literally glow. They would have a, a veil over his face because his face was white from the presence of God. And if we don't have, look, and that's for all of us. We live in the age of Pentecost. We are the church age. The Holy Spirit is upon us. Amen? Not only is He with us, but He's in us is what Jesus said. And what we see here is that sometimes we, we, we don't take the time to be holy and we miss out. We neglect the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. We begin to try to work things out through our own reasoning, our own ability, our own uh, agendas. And God said, no, don't do that. Don't neglect the power of God. Amen? The Holy Spirit was not given just so that we can have, you know, like I say sometimes, just so that you can do backflips in church but so that you can live an empowered life in the world. Now, look at the verse 15 and 16. It says, Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy providing may appear to all. 
Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Meditate on these things. It, it does not mean to empty your mind. When, when God says to meditate, now meditating in the way that the Eastern religions teach is wrong. It is against what God has said. We don't, we don't empty ourselves and allow the spirit of the world to fill us. We don't do that. But what we do is we, we, what we do is we hold to God's word. We think on God's word. We think about what He said, why He said it, how it applies to our life. This is what it means to meditate on God's word. And God told Joshua before he went into battle, He didn't just say, You're strong, go to battle. He said, Meditate on this word day and night, and then your, your way would be made prosperous on your way. You see, meditating on God's word is taking what God has said and bringing bringing it into your heart and thinking on that thing over and over and over and over. That way we're not, our minds aren't filled up with will of fortune and what's happening on TV, on Discovery Channel or E or whatever, USA Today. We're not focusing on those things, but we're, our focus, our heart, our attention is set on God, on His Word, and we're meditating on that Word day and night. Now, I want you to believe something. I want you to hear something. God told John Joshua to meditate day and night or he would not be prosperous. This is something that Joshua could not skip. And can I tell you something? You can't skip it either. If you don't meditate on God's word, if you don't hold to God's word in your heart, you'll begin to go through the motions. You'll begin, to, you'll begin to neglect the power of God on your life. You'll begin to go through the motions. You'll just begin to be present. That's what I was in school. They would say, Kenny, present. I was there in bodily form, but I was not there with my mind. I was not there with my heart. I was not paying attention. I was not in it at all. And when we begin to backslide, it's the same way. And if we're not meditating on God's Word day and night, what happens is our heart begins to get hard, and then we begin to get, we begin to get wearied. And God said, meditate on this. Meditate on it. And look what he says in this next part of the verse. What happens next? Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. You see, when we're talking about meditating, we're not just talking about memorizing, but we're talking about internalizing. A lot of times you can memorize, and especially when you, you, know, you begin to teach people, you can begin to memorize, 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 memorize. But if you never internalize that word, it's going to just have, you're going to have a form of godliness, but you're going to be denying the power thereof. Ian Paisley, a famous uh, preacher in, in, in uh, Ireland a few, a few decades ago, he said famously one time, he said, don't let the urge to read through something rob you of the power of it, the power to think through that thing. And sometimes, especially right now, you begin to get on a reading plan. You begin to, you know, say, I'm going to read two chapters a day, or I'm going to read this, and I'm going to memorize that, and I'm going to read this, and I'm going to memorize that. But sometimes we can get in the urge to read something at face value. We can get in the urge to read the, the alphabet letters of it and not think through what God has said. Amen? 
And sometimes we can begin to focus on things from a carnal perspective, but God is spirit. His word is alive. His word is quick and powerful today as it ever has been. There's still power, wonder work and power in the blood, but there's still power in the word of God. The word of God is still quick and powerful. It still saves. It still sets free. It still breaks those bondages. It still opens blind eyes. And when you believe what God has said, all things are possible to those those who believe, not what you think, not what you want, not what I say, but what God said. All things are possible when you believe what God has said. And so you got to take that word and you've got to meditate on it. And it says in that second part, it says, look, it says, give yourself what? Half-heartedly, right? It says to give yourself occasionally, right? It says to give yourself when you want to, right? It says to give yourself when you feel like it. It says, give what you want to give, and you'll prosper. It says, give what you want to give to the Lord, and you'll prosper. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say anything yet, does it? What it says is give yourself wholly, wholly. That means that you are called to give God without reservation on anything, your whole being. That means that you give to God wholly those things that you meditate on. What, what that means is that you're not only thinking through these things, but you're actually, you're, you're actually applying them to your life. In other words, you're not memorizing thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. What you're doing is you're actually applying that thing to your life, giving it over to yourself, and then when you have an opportunity to steal from your boss at work and nobody's ever going to know that you took the pencil home, you don't because you've done applied that thing to your life. You've done applied that thing to your life and you would die before you would steal from your boss. Amen? Because you know God said not to do it and you've applied that to your life and now you've given yourself wholly to that thing and you've made adjustments in your life to order your steps according to God's word. Now God's got you where he's growing you. And once you begin to operate in that, once you begin to meditate on it, one of the things that I do with our kids, I say, okay, what'd you learn today? What'd you do this? What are you reading? What are you doing? Because, you know, a lot of times with kids, it's all about the stories, right? It's all about the stories. Yeah, but why did Jesus go to Zacchaeus' house? Not that he went, but why did he go? Oh, Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. Why did he go, though? Well, Zacchaeus was a sinner, but he needed Jesus. And Jesus said he came for the sinners. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. He would pass by a thousand righteous people to find Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus went up in that tree to find Jesus. But what he didn't know is that Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. All he was looking for was somebody that had a need. Somebody that would humble themselves. Somebody that would walk in humility and say, I need a Savior. And when you have that humble heart and you operate in humility, you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's looking for you. God's looking for those lowly, those meek, those mild people. Well, what we see here is that we're called to give ourselves wholly to this. So we're not called to just memorize facts. We're not called to just look upon something and, and read it. We're called to internalize it and give ourselves wholly to it. Why did God say that? How does that apply to me? How can I, how can I operate in that? Giving ourselves wholly to it, it, it is a, a, a whole thing. So thought moves into acting. So you, you, you actually give yourself to the matter is what you do. Now look at this next part. It says in the, same, in the same section, it says, 
Give yourself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Well, we're not going to get into the word faith realm. We're not talking about that your wallet begins to grow and you're going to be driving a Mercedes. And we're not talking about we're not talking about profiting in the way that America thinks about profiting. We're talking about profiting in the things of God. We're, what it actually means is that you begin to grow. That's what the word actually means, that you begin to grow. We've, we've been on this topic for a few weeks, but, you know, God calls us to be fruitful. God calls us to, to be fruitful, to begin to grow in the Spirit and to be fruitful. And if we're not, if we're not growing and being fruitful, there's a problem. But this profiting is not possible unless you, what? Give yourself wholly. You're not going to profit if you give yourself half-heartedly. You're not going to profit if you only memorize God's Word. You're not going to profit if you only read it without meditating on it. I'm telling you, Joshua would not have been successful in his campaign in the promised land had he not meditated on God's word day and night. I believe that he encountered situations that probably would have shook him to his core. I believe that he encountered situations that would have messed him up had he not known that he knew that he knew that he knew God was with him. You know, sometimes you, be, you can begin to go out for the Lord and things don't go right. I know maybe you haven't been through that, but many people around you probably have. But you can begin to live for God. You can begin to do this for God. And things don't exactly go according to plan. And in those moments, you can't rely on yourself. You have to rely on what God has said. You have to rely on something greater than yourself. And if all you have is just the extremities of the Word and not the power of it because you haven't meditated on it and given yourself to it, there won't be any profiting in it. There won't be any profiting. So there's no profiting in the Lord if you don't actually go wholeheartedly after the Lord. No profiting in the Lord if you don't go wholeheartedly after the Lord. Let me show you a couple of passages what I mean by this. We're going to go first to Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48. And we, you can keep your finger there in First Timothy 4 because we'll be coming back. But I want, to, I want to show you a couple of places about what it means to profit in the Lord. Isaiah 48. Now, what I love about profiting in the Lord is this. Once you begin to burn for the Lord, once, you, once the Lord's... Once the Lord's anointing comes on your life, you don't have to walk around with a bumper sticker telling people. You don't have to walk around, you know, reminding people. It, it, it's on you. God's on you. God is working in you. It's like you can't contain yourself. You remember Jeremiah talked about that? He said that God's word was, was what? It was like fire shot up in his what? bones in other words he couldn't contain himself he got he got alone with God he got a word from God and it hit him so hard he couldn't stop it it was like fire in his bones and he had to shout it out he had to speak it out he had to let it out he had to live it out and it wasn't about just some internal you know well God said this 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 it wasn't about memorizing this it actually became a reality in his life and it animated his body it animated his life to the point that he had to do something 
something about it. If you don't, I don't know what it feels like to have fire shot up in your bones, but I understand what he's saying because I've had the word of God that hot in my spirit that I've had to let it out. I've had to tell people that God set them free if they'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would break those bondages. And, and one of the things that we see in Jeremiah is though he said that it was like fire shot up in his bones. That was the word. He was talking about the word was like that. It was the word. It wasn't anything else except for the, that word of God that was animated by his faith. He had given himself wholeheartedly over to that thing. Well, this passage here in Isaiah 48, verse 17, it says, Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord thy God, which teaches thee to profit which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. In, in other words, when, God, when you begin to profit in God, it's because you're beginning to follow the Lord's leading. It's because you're beginning to follow where God leads you. Now, normally, in my normal discourse, I would have never gone to church more than once a month or once a year. But after God saved me and set me free and gave me His Holy Spirit, you couldn't keep me out of the church. I was there before the, the doors were open. If the, You know, I was knocking on the door. When are we having church again? You don't have to beg me to go to an altar. I know where I need to be. I know where I need to go. I need to be around God's people. I need to be at that altar. I need to hear the word of God. I need to spend time in worship. I know where I need to go, right? God leads me. Nobody, look, not one pastor in my life has ever had to call me and ask me, where are you at? Because God was leading me. Not one pastor ever had to text me and say, why haven't you been to church this month? Now, one time has that ever happened because when, and I'm not just pointing at me, I'm just, you are the same way. When you begin to follow the Lord, the Lord will lead you in the right path. He will lead you where you need to be, when you need to be there. If you'll open your heart up to God and give yourself wholeheartedly to that word, God will profit you and he will lead you in the way that you should go. He will build you up. He knows how to put in you. He knows what to remove out of our lives. He knows what to put in our lives. He knows what we need when we need it. And he'll teach you. He'll teach you and he'll lead you in that way. Now, sometimes, we, you know, we, we need to be reminded. Sometimes the Holy Spirit has a way of revealing things at certain times. You may not know for a long time that you need to do X, Y, and Z. And then one, one time the Lord begins to reveal it to you. And if you have a heart for God, you'll follow God in that thing. You'll follow God in that thing. Because God doesn't reveal everything in one moment to you. He, over time, he teaches you. He teaches you. Because there's times that we, we can't handle it all at, the same, at one time. Amen? We can't handle it all. There's times that we need to grow. And God knows how much we can handle. God knows how much to put in. And he knows what to hold back on until we're ready for it, until we can handle it. Then when we can handle it, he'll put that on us. That's how God grows us. But listen, the part I want you to see is that he's the teacher. He's, uh, and any teacher's that way. If you go into, if you go into Algebra 1, they're not going to te teach you Calculus 2. Because you've got to learn the fundamentals of Algebra first. You can't, you can't understand the concepts of, of, of calculus until you get the, the basics of algebra right. And God, and God is a, the ultimate teacher. He knows what you need. He's got his eye on every student. None of us are flying under the radar with God. 
He knows what you need when you need it. And if you continue to have your heart for him and give yourself wholeheartedly to what he does, listen, he will teach you. You will profit in the things of God. He will grow you. That's his business. John 15 says he's the husbandman. He knows that's his business. His business is to grow you. So he knows what to put in, when to put it in, and he knows what to prune, when to prune it. And we can say hallelujah to that or oh me for that, but it's the truth. John 15 verse 1 through 5 tells us that. God is the husband. So he's the teacher and he knows what we need when we need it. Are you with me? But why? So that we can profit. Why? So that others can see God's light in you. You see, if it's all about you and all about what you know, you're going to get the glory for it. But once you give yourself wholeheartedly over to God and God begins to profit you, the light of God begins to shine upon you. And people, look, they don't need my light and they don't need your light. They need God's light. They don't need what I know or you know. They need God's truth. They don't need my church or your church. They need to be in God's church. And what we see here is that when we begin to profit in the things of God, his light begins to shine through us. Didn't Jesus say that when you believe on him, you wouldn't walk in what? Darkness anymore. He that follows me, walk in light. He said, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. But when you believe on Jesus, his light begins to shine through you. And Jesus said even this. He said that no man lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. But what does he say in Luke 6? He said, when you light a candle, you put it on a what? Candlestick so that others in the house can see. God wants, you, God wants you to profit. He wants you to grow. He wants to use you. Why? So that your light will shine, that others can see God through your life. Sometimes you say, well, I don't understand why, you know, I fell on my face again. Well, I can tell you this. If you'll listen to the Lord on that thing, and allow him to help you in that thing, somebody else will see God's light through you. You might say, oh, I'm having a hard time, but I want you to know there's a purpose for it. You might, be, you might be that one that has that one testimony that helps that one person to hold on. You might be able to say, you know what, I never knew why I had to go through all that I had to go through until now. And now I know because God's been faithful to me, He wants you to know that He'll be faithful for you. Because I've been through it. I've been through the darkness. I've been through the night. I've been through the storm. I've been through the flood. And I'm here to tell you that God is faithful in each and every trial and tribulation I've been through. And now that light, now that light, because you've trusted God and you've given yourself wholly over to Him, now that light begins to shine and others can see God through you. Others can see God's hand on your life. Others can see that. So because you were willing to, as Paul says, because you were willing to give yourself wholly to it, that profiting appeared. Not for yourself, but for others. For others. Not for yourself, for others. That's how you, that's how you know that's how you know God's working in you. Once you begin to take your mind off of you, how this can help you, and you begin to think on how this helps others. It's that, so that profiting appears. That's what he says, so that profiting appears to others. Now, how many of you know that there's a lot of people that they can hear the word of God and it don't profit them a lick? I've been there. I'll raise my hand on that. Before I got saved, you could preach all you wanted to preach. I knew the black and white truth of what you were saying because I grew up in church. I just didn't know God. 
I knew about God, but I didn't know that God was real. I didn't know that it was a reality. I thought it was just a, a, a you know, something to learn about. But you know that there are people like that in our lives. And if, if we're not careful, if we neglect the gift of God, like Paul told Timothy, don't neglect that gift that was given you by the laying on of hands. If you neglect the power of the Holy Ghost, if you neglect the power of God on your life, if you don't watch out, God doesn't, God is not real in your life anymore. It's just words that you speak. Amen? How many of you know that you can teach a parrot to say anything? Right? You can teach a parrot to say anything. Like, literally, they'll say anything. You can say, um, you can talk to a parrot. You can have a conversation with a parrot, but that doesn't mean that a parrot understands you. They're just regurgitating what you've said, and they've, they've learned certain treats. We'll get them certain things, and they'll say that thing. But, you know, there's a lot of people in the church like that. I've encountered people like that in ministry. Uh, they, I mean, if you listen to it, I mean, they are eloquent. They never miss a beat. They never stutter. They never, you know, some, I, I go, uh, uh, uh. They, and none of that. They just, Beautiful. But if you listen too much, you'll begin to hear that they all they're doing is parroting what their favorite preacher says. All they're doing is, is mimicking by actions, by words, by countenance, by everything, what somebody else is saying instead of what God is saying. And what we need in our life is not to be parrots, not understanding the power of God in our life. But we need the actual Word of God at work in us, meditating on that thing and actually profiting by that thing. Let me show you what I mean in Hebrews 4. Let's let's go over to Hebrews 4 verse 2 and see how this works out. Hebrews 4. Now, the writer of Hebrews, I think is Paul, but the writer of Hebrews is, is here comparing the children of Israel that didn't make it into the promised land with some in the church. I mean, that's deep. Then and it's still that way today. There's a lot of people, you know, that that have gotten brought out of Egypt, but they've never come into that place that God wants them to come into. They begin to get concrete blocks on their feet, and they begin to slow down in the desert, and they begin to you know, prop up a chair in the desert where God doesn't want them to stay. It says in verse 1 of Hebrews 4, it says, let us, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you, the church, should seem to come short of it. Now, you, some, some folks, you know, you just got to understand, this letter is to Christians, and he's saying this promises for you and you need to fear this thing and grab hold of this thing lest you come short of that thing and he's writing that to Christians because it's possible just like with the nation of Israel they came out of Egypt but many of them died in the desert they didn't they did not enter into the promised land but notice what happens in verse 2 for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. 
So there is there's an applying. They they heard everybody everybody heard the same words. Everybody heard the same words, but not everybody profited by those words. In fact, right now, as I'm preaching, you can think about what bills you got to pay tomorrow. You can think about what work you got to do. Or you can think on God. And you can hear the same words with your natural ear, but if you don't put faith on those words, it will not profit you. It will not profit you. And I would actually go a step further. I would go with the Lord Jesus because it, when, when we don't, listen, when we do not apply what we hear, we're going to be judged by those things. Even though you've heard it, but if you didn't act on it and believe it, I believe that we will give an account for it. Because God's word, listen, is not going to return to him null or void. It will accomplish what it's set out to accomplish. And sometimes we need to realize that those words will come back on us. But he says here that these people, that, and what he's specifically talking about is people that came out of Egypt. They heard the truth. Pharaoh let my people go. They came out of Egypt. They came into the desert land. And God preached to them. And God said, follow me. And I'm going to take you to the promised land. He said, I'm taking you to the promised land. And he says that to the church. I'm taking you to the promised land. But these people, when they came out of Egypt, they stopped and they said, it's been too long. It's too hard. It's too weary. Everybody's making fun of us. Everybody else eats better than us. Everybody else dresses better than us. Everybody else has a home and three cars and a dog and everything else. And we don't have nothing. We don't even get to have fun. We can't even go to the movies anymore. And God said in that moment, in that moment they showed who they really were because they were not mixing faith with God's word. And they all perished in the desert save two. They all perished in the desert save two. But I will say this, Joshua and Caleb let their light shine. They let their light shine. And I, I want you to understand this. If you'll, if you'll begin to mix faith with the Word of God in the same way, God will shine His light through you. God will shine His light through you. Let's go back over there to Timothy and, and, and look at that verse again. Let's pick the same thought back up. 1 Timothy chapter 4, if you lost your place. Verse 15. It says, meditate on these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to some. No, it says to all, doesn't it? That, that means that, you know, there's not, that, what that shows you is that when you begin to operate in the Spirit of God and you begin to operate in the Lord, you don't segment your faith. You don't, you don't partition that thing out. You don't, you don't act churchy around church folks and worldly around worldly folks. It is that when you begin to give yourself wholly over to that thing, that thing's got a hold of you. That's the reality of the matter. I remember, well, I remember whenever I got saved and they, you know, they said, um, you know, when, when you begin to live for God, 
When you begin to live for God, you don't have to worry about your past. You don't have to worry about your habits because God will take care of those things. I thought, there's no way. Because I can't go two sentences without using curse words. I can't, I can't go through this and I can't go through that. But you know what? When you give yourself wholly over to God, when you give yourself wholly over to God, his, his power begins to work in you. And he begins to do more than you think you can do. Because his power is supernatural, not natural. Right? But that light shining through you, it actually appears to all. Now... You don't laugh at the jokes you used to laugh at. You don't talk about the things you used to talk about. You don't even say the curse words you used to say. Why don't you curse anymore? We used to, used to do this, this, and this. Why don't you ever go out anymore? Why don't you ever do this anymore? Why don't you do that anymore? And that's God's light shining through you. That is you being a salty Christian. That is you not blending into the world, but standing out. That's what salt means. Not blending into the world, but standing out from it. And look at this, ne- this last verse of the section. He says, take heed unto thyself and unto, thy, and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Take heed to thyself and to the doctrine. That means that you need to, you know what the word heed means? Caution, beware. The, the, the word actually means um, when, a, when a ship would go, this is a Greek picture of it, um, a, a ship would leave port on the, you know, a boat, would leave port, go in the water. It would launch out. Take heed actually means bring it back into harbor. You see, whenever you're not taking heed, it just means you're carelessly going and doing whatever you want to do. You've launched out. Nobody's going to tell you any different. You've gone. You gone, gone, gone. Nobody going to tell you a word. You just, you already lost out. But to take heed means that you're willing to bring that boat back into harbor. What that means is that you're willing to listen to the word of God. It's not about, nobody going to tell me what to do. That means that you're not willing to take heed to yourself. But when you're willing to take heed to yourself, you're willing to let the word of God correct you. You're willing to let the word of God bring you back into harbor. You've already set sail. You've already made a determination. You've already started on that course. But then that word from the Lord came. And you stopped. And you were like, you know what? I've gone too far in this. I need to bring this thing back to harbor. You know, I've I've gone too far in this issue. I've gone too far in that issue. Sometimes we can get offended. Somebody lies about us. Somebody cheats us. Somebody robs us. We can get, they, they didn't thank me. They didn't send me a card. They didn't tell me Merry Christmas. They don't like me. They don't, you, you can get, begin to get offended about those things. And Jesus says in Luke 17, take heed. Take heed. When you get offended, take heed. Bring that thing back into harbor. You can get carried away on those things. Take heed. Well, this word right here, when he says, take heed to thyself, that means in all that you are, in all that you do, be willing, be willing that God's word correct you, that God's word brings you back to where God wants you to be. What that means is that you need to constantly, and if if you're not into the word and you're not meditating on the word, then this doesn't have any possibility. You have to be in the Word and meditating on that Word, listen to the Word preached, listen to the Word taught, understand what God has said so that we can compare what God is saying with what we're doing. That there's no discrepancy between what God says and how we live our lives. 
That's what it means to take heed and be willing to apply those things into our life. Well, you know what? I have been taking pencils from my boss. I need to go take that thing back. I need to go tell him I'm sorry. That's how you take heed. It's not fun to do those types of things, but sometimes we need to do them. Sometimes you need to apologize. You know what? You, you know, you said a dirty joke, and I laughed about it, and I shouldn't have done it, and God's convicted me about it, but I just got to tell you that you did that, and I laughed, and I'm sorry for letting you think that it was okay because it's not okay. How's that for giving you a plate of humility? Well, sometimes we need to do those things and we need to be able to listen. We need to have a heart ready to receive God's word and act on it so that when God says those things, we can take heed. Because if you, if you push back against what God says, you'll begin to get what we call hard-hearted. And hard-heartedness is when God can say the right thing but it not make any effect on your life. So you've got to stay sensitive to what God has said and take heed to it, not only to yourself, how you live and the conduct of your life, but to your doctrine as well. That's what he says right there. Your doctrine, that is what you believe about God. Be, be willing. Hey, you know what? If you've been, you know, you, you, you don't believe in the rapture and you don't believe in this and you don't believe in that, when you see it in the Word of God, you need to be able to receive it. You need to be able to receive those things. Because the Word of God is our final authority. The Word of God is supposed to be what corrects us, what guides us. He said that His Word is what? A lamp for our feet and what? A light for our path. It is God's Word that lights that thing up so that we know where to go. It's not about what I think or you think or we think or they think. It's about what God hath said. And if God said it, we're supposed to believe it and order our steps according to it. Take heed to ourself and to the doctrine, right? And that profiting, that your profiting appear to all. That your profiting appear to all. You know, the sad reality is that that's really what Paul's talking about. Paul wanted Timothy to, to prosper. He wanted Timothy to be profitable in ministry. And the sad reality is in America, a lot of times we've, we've associated profiting with Mercedes-Benz's. And not growing in the things of God. Amen. One of, the, one of my favorite, uh, favorite men of church history was John Wesley. He grew up very wealthy. Very wealthy. Was able to go to college back in the day when most people were illiterate. Just very wealthy. Him and his brother. They were very wealthy. And you know, and he gave his life to the church. He encountered those Moravians on that boat famously and it changed his life. And, and it left an impact on him. And he, he began to counsel with Count Zizendorf and all of these great men of God. And, and I mean, God did such a work in him. And him and Charles, they, they began to methodically follow after God. And, and you know what? When he died, he had only enough money to, for people to bury him with. He left only enough money. He didn't leave an inheritance monetarily. He didn't leave an inheritance monetarily. He left an inheritance spiritually. He left a spiritual legacy for people to follow. He was extremely wealthy, but he spent all of his wealth on building churches. He spent all of his wealth on publishing his brother's hymn book. By the way, his brother got one hymn snuck into the Anglican hymn book. At Christmas time, they were trying to find a Christmas hymn. And they didn't even realize that Charles Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angels Sing. So they began to put that in their hymn book. Unbeknownst to them, it was these rebels that were on fire for God. 
And God has His way of doing those things. But you know, it, what I want you to see though is it, it's not about profiting monetarily because Charles Wesley spent all, listen, he didn't, he didn't leave a dime to anybody. He spent, he was extremely wealthy and he spent it all on Jesus. And he profited in Jesus. And he left a legacy for Jesus. And that's the kind of property that, profiting that we're called in our lives to live. Amen? This evening as we close, I want to give you an opportunity just to respond to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to profit in you. I want to profit in you. I, I want to grow spiritually. I want to grow spiritually. I, I want to follow you wherever you lead. I believe as we come to the close of this year and we begin to open up this next year, it's going to be important that we hold to God's Word and meditate on that thing. Joshua could not have known the battles he was going to face. God's Word to Joshua was not, get a big sword. God's Word to Joshua was not, get a bigger army. God's Word to Joshua was, meditate on these words day and night. You'll prosper. Take courage. Be strong. Be courageous. But meditate on those words. Meditate on the words of this book day and night. Get that word in you. And God will cause you to be prosperous on the way. Amen. If you want to respond to the Lord, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and your truth. And God, we pray that you would have your way in it. Lord, bless your people. Lord, you know our need. You know, Father, the condition of our heart, and you know, Father, what we need. Lord, we thank you that you are the teacher, and we pray, God, that we would be humble enough to be taught by you, that we would walk in humility, operate in that humility, and allow you, Lord, to use us, allow you to speak into our lives, that we would humble ourselves before you, meditate on you, give ourselves wholly to you. God, that your light can be seen in us, in Jesus' name.